0: You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature,
1: and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia.
0: All right. It's so cool when we get to chat to friends in here. It's just like validating our thoughts (laughs) (laughs) over coffee with friends, which Um, is
2: the best. We should just take the podcast to surfing on a Thursday. We'll get some good content.
0: Yes. Amongst Mm.
2: a lot of kids. You need to come to Surfing Thursdays. Surfing
0: Thursdays. Mm. We're going to start surfing too. If we can find someone to wrangle our babies.
1: i I would love that, but also I get really competitive. Also, because
0: she is like a big wave shredder, so Uh, (laughs) maybe you could um, stay home.
2: (laughs) We're going to go boogie boarding pretty much on a surfboard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we're going to call it surfing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's really cool that we get to chat today. We're going to talk about the birth of Mim, Mimi, which is your fourth baby.
2: My baby girl.
0: Your baby girl. (laughs) Um, And how that all went down and unfolded and a little bit about your family and... Yeah, just your experience and the journey of pregnancy and birth because you did things a little bit different this time.
2: I did very different from my firstborn. Um, so my firstborn is Lonnie. He's, he turned eight yesterday. <gasps> Happy birthday, Lonnie. Happy
1: birthday. <laughs> Congratulations. Um,
2: Lonnie, I've had four totally different births actually. I've had one in the private hospital with a private obstetrician, one in the public hospital with a private midwife, one at home and one free birth. So um Lonnie was private obstetrician in the private hospital. I had about one hundred scans during his pregnancy and every test that you can imagine. Um, and I went for my 39-week appointment and my obstetrician suggested that I get induced the next day because he was measuring really big. My husband is six foot six and actually was born five weeks primary at nine pounds. So <laughs> it was believable. But um, I was felt really comfortable. I was really happy and I questioned whether induction was the right route. Um I definitely hadn't done enough research and I and I trusted my obstetrician, but it didn't really sit right with me at the time. And she assured me that it is no different to having a natural birth. Um and I was ready to go and I was one centimetre dilated and I would have a beautiful birth the next day. Um and I said, Oh I really, I really don't want to I don't need to, I'm really comfortable and um she reminded me that she'd done nine years of study and I'd done nine months of research. So um, I went and got an induction the next day. Um, I got in there and she broke my waters and put the um, Pitocin on straight away and left and came back about seven hours later. and Just really quickly, is that the Pitocin drip? or Correct, the drip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I contracted every minute probably for those seven hours. So one minute Whoa. on, one minute off. I was exhausted and um, I think I was two centimetres when she checked when she got back. Um, so I got an epidural and then she said, I'll come back at – seven o'clock and we'll deliver this baby. And true to her word, she came in at seven o'clock and um, I was nine centimetres or or ten centimetres, I'm not sure. But she got me to push and I think I pushed for about an hour. And um, then, yeah, she put the vacuum in, which is the vacuum on the top of the baby's head. and
1: With your your consent? No,
2: I was never asked. I was never given any of the um, risk factors. I I don't even remember having a conversation. I just remember feeling a, a pain... Um, I, the epidural had sort of worn off by this stage, and I definitely remember having feeling. Um, and then she performed a episiotomy and used forceps, both also without my consent or without any knowledge, actually, of what what this was doing. Um, I then had little Lonnie was put onto my chest, and he was an awful grey colour. Um, he had a ginormous cuts down both sides of his face, um, a massive lump on his head. Very significant bruising. I've never seen anything like it and I've now got four wild children. So, um, yeah, it was horrible. He was grunting. He could hardly breathe. He was taken off me to the recess table. Um, He was then brought back and I was told he would go to special care nursery. Um, But he was banging my head, actually. He wanted a boobie. (laughs) So I put him on the breast and fed him and he got a bit of colour back and he um, started breathing, regulating his breathing. Um, And I don't think he left my chest since... Then, so wow. it was really horrible, actually, um, and definitely caused a lot of issues for his health. Following that, um, he had quite severe respiratory uh, issues as an infant, and then a young child. Um, he had bruising and pain for a, a long time on his head, like when he was trying to sleep. You know, those first few weeks are already hard enough, um, but he—you could tell that it was really tender and sore and. I think it probably took me six months to not have a sore vagina from the episiotomy. Oh so yeah, it was a very different experience to what
0: I've had since then. So was that kind of like the catalyst for choosing something different or was it kind of just like, okay, I don't want to do that again. Like you knew you didn't want to, or were you just kind of like, that's what birth is?
2: Well, yeah, for a little while, I actually thought my obstetrician had saved our lives. Um, mm-hmm. A bit of that, you know, that gaslighting and, um, I'm not sure whether I was in a bit of denial, but I loved her. I thought she'd saved my son's life. I thought that that's what had to happen on that day to save his life, and I was just so grateful. It wasn't until a little bit later and he was having all these health issues and every time I went to a doctor, they would be like, can you explain your birth to me? And then it would be like that That justified the issues he was having. Like the, the doctor or the it was a neurologist actually was like, oh, okay, yeah, that explains that. And I thought, hold on, this is not right, this does not make sense and I realised she didn't save our lives, she actually put our lives at risk. Mm. Um, So after that I remember going home and just Googling, you know, the long-term side effects of pitocin or the long-term side effects of an epidural and all these things that I hadn't researched and it was lowered oxygen in your baby and it was – High risk of cerebral palsy, high risk of long-term respiratory issues, um, all of these things that I just thought were routine or that I wasn't advised, I didn't give consent to. I wasn't aware of the side effects of them, um, were all starting to paint a picture and it was all starting to make sense.
1: Wow, that's that is so intense. I'm like I'm stopping myself from crying. That is really huge because that was your introduction to motherhood. It was, yeah. And it definitely
2: framed a lot. Um, I didn't actually let Lonnie cry till he was about five. And not because I, I didn't want him to cry, but I just, I think I felt an overwhelming guilt. So if the last cookie broke when I took the cookies out of the oven, it's okay, I'll make another batch. And um, just an overwhelming guilt internally for, for his introduction to life and thinking that his behaviour or his all these different things would be because yeah, but I'd let him down. Yeah, but we did this, but we didn't we didn't do our due diligence. We didn't do our, you know, our research. And um, I think the biggest transformation when was when I could take accountability for that but not blame and and forgive myself and go, All right, but we can do better now. And and that's what we did. And we talked to him all the all the time about I think about two minutes after I had Mimi, I'm like, buddy, I wouldn't have got that without you. Like we had that birth because of you. Yeah, and he knows <laughs> it and he loves it. And he had quite a hard day on his um, birthday yesterday and I think it does bring up a lot for him mm. and we talk about it and, yeah, I, I will never stop saying sorry to him and I'll never stop saying thank you. Oh, Yeah, my
0: little man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So from then obviously Arlo, your second, was – conceived not that long I mean there was like a it's a shortish gap yeah they're two years, of years apart yeah so did you like consciously conceive Arlo and be like okay going into this this is what we're gonna do or um like what was the what was I that still like?
2: hadn't taken full accountability
0: I knew okay. there was absolutely no way
2: I would have the birth I had with Lonnie um but I still was on my journey definitely um we had had quite a few hurdles in Lonnie's childhood so he'd been diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, he was on a significant amount of um, medication for that and that was following his vaccinations actually. So we had got him vaccinated. Um, I, I noticed after the first slot I was like, he's not well and then I didn't want to get the next slots because my husband was away and I didn't want him to be unwell and then I thought, hold on, we shouldn't be unwell after something that's good for us. So um, we had gone on the epilepsy journey and we're like, we're taking my four medications um, we're we're not going down that route anymore, and it was similar with Arlo's birth. Um, I had got one scan. I was not definitely not vaccinating. Um, I um, I think I'd got the Nip test maybe, but we were on our way. We were definitely still learning, and I was definitely still on the journey. But um, <laughs> I had Lonnie. Uh, sorry, I had an Arlo with a home birth midwife, but in the hospital. Um, and it was probably a really pivotal point. My waters broke seventy two hours before I had him. And she was just, she was so educating on that's totally fine. Um, it's not like the movies, obviously, which I knew, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really fine. It was about tuning in and did I feel like I was okay? Did I feel like Arlo was okay? And that was my first initiation into really tuning in to my baby, silencing the outside world and just communicating with him Um I had a beautiful birth in hospital. I definitely still had challenges, so I got in there and they wanted to give me antibiotics. I had no signs of infection. We were both completely fine um, and I refused that and they told me it was their hospital policy and I had to have them. So having my private midwife with me, um, we asked them to print off the policy, which obviously at the bottom – said if the mother consents, which I did not. So we had quite a few challenges like that in the hospital. And when you're so vulnerable, that is the last thing you need. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that I had had that with Lonnie because I just knew there was no way I was standing my ground. And they also wanted me to do a blood test. I'm in active labour at this point. And it was another policy of the hospital that when I asked them to print off at the bottom said if the mother consents. But the results weren't going to come back for 24 hours. And I was in active labour and mm. they were forcing me to get this silly blood test um but having my midwife there really empowered me Jan is a home birth midwife um she you know when they would ask if the student midwife could come in which is something obviously really little but um she's like this has a really big influence on her energy in the room and when they would ask me those questions she would ask them politely to leave the room so that I had time to answer that and she would say to me okay this is a pros, like this midwife will get some great experience and this is a con. She might bring energy into the room that you don't want and now it's your decision, you make your decision and you do what's best for you and your baby, no one else in this room. And she really empowered me to make some, um, yeah, to have those tough conversations and I had a beautiful birth and I delivered um, Arlo myself onto my chest, which mm-hmm. was really lovely. So it was a part of the healing process but I soon learnt we had a long way to go.
0: Wow. Was he like – did you just stay for a little bit and then –
1: I was home within an hour, four hours, I think. Hours, yeah, hours thing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, like, was there any kind of intervention? Did you have any, like, drugs to help or – No, I had nothing, yeah. Oh, that's just, amazing.
2: Um, natural birth, natural delivery, um, no. You must yeah. have
0: felt completely elated and just like, wow – that was not the first experience I had, and I can't believe it could have been so different. I couldn't believe how good I felt. I could just yeah. get up
2: and go to the bathroom, yeah. and I was like, I was still quite tender. And I actually delivered him on my back, um, which I don't recommend. <laughs> um, no, obviously everyone's yep. different, but um, I had, yeah, still quite a bit of pelvic pain. Just a few little things that I that I
0: realized. Um, little tweaks probably would have mm. yeah made that a bit more comfortable. You must have noticed it so much, even just like in the postpartum, like those days after, and just how that experience would have just been so different. Like, you must have, were you kind of like going in expecting, oh, I'm going to have like that six month thing where it's going to be, yeah, like it's going to be painful for six months? And like, yeah, a bit of dread. just
2: thinking, I was planning to not be able to sit down after birth. I thought that was, that was what Normal. happened. Yeah. And then I could sit down without pain. And I was like, it was tender, but I was like,
1: okay, yeah. this is different. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. Uh, and I'm excited to keep listening. So then Goldie. we <laughs> conceived our little Goldie girl, our first
2: daughter, and um, I was definite that I was having a home birth. Um, I said to people, if I go missing in the wild, don't come and find me because I'm not having this baby anywhere else but home. Um, and I had the most beautiful birth. I had a beautiful pregnancy. Um, I still got a scan um i had got the nip test because i wanted to find out the gender asap <laughs> um i had a really beautiful birth at home it was about 45 minutes from start to finish um, is this is with jan as well this is with the same midwife mm. that helped me at hospital so sorry, yes. really
1: quickly for everyone listening <laughs> that was 45 minutes <laughs> i know holy shit yeah wait till was you hear me again? <laughs> six hours
2: It was at low. Yeah. So 45 minutes, but I literally was pinching myself because they thought somebody's going to wake me up from this dream and I'm going to actually have to have a baby properly. Oh, my
1: gosh.
2: (laughs) It was so good. I had no pain. I didn't find labour painful at all. Um, I had my two boys there watching on and Lonnie actually cut her cord. Um, We did delayed cord clamping, but, you know, I think it was probably a couple of hours after he cut the cord. Um it was amazing. It was just on the floor in the bedroom because I was telling everyone I wasn't in Labour because it felt like I wasn't in Labour. And um I didn't have the pool filled up or anything. So it was just on the floor next to the bed and um my husband caught her. He nearly dropped her. I've got some footage actually. <laughs> but um yeah. Oh, my, come on. My, really? He nearly dropped her. He actually
1: did his <laughs> skills yeah, in yeah, life. The he one thing he was good at.
2: <laughs> Not the one thing, oh but, my gosh. um he did he I was I was on my knees with my arms around his neck and I was putting all my weight on him (laughs) and then out slipped um, Goldie and he just sort of fumbled over a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and that was um, our Goldie. Goldie was, um, I mean, we don't do due dates, but um, Goldie was 10 days early at about 10 pounds. So reflecting on Lonnie, who I was told would be too big for me to deliver, he was 7 pounds. He was tiny when he came out and then I delivered this. I didn't even have a graze. Um, I didn't have a sore vagina at all. In fact, we had intercourse about a week and a bit after I had her. Oh my gosh. Um, not because there was any pressure from my husband at all. It was probably me. Um <laughs> <I'm feeling laughs> again. I good. had this like yeah, big rush of
0: hormones, and I just remember being like, gosh. "Where are on?" Because there's no at birth me. trauma. You're just like, it's so normal. And and then I was
2: like, do we normalize yeah. the six weeks? Is it to give them? Maybe it's to give the mums a break, but maybe it's to normalize being so sore yeah maybe like that's another way of normalizing these traumatic births but um yeah I hadn't I had nothing it was amazing. amazing and then we had Mimi um so I said to I went on a really big journey at the end of 2019 so and this is where I healed a lot of the birth trauma from Lonnie um I had a lot to do with Lael, who you had on your podcast, who I adore. But um, basically, I I needed to take accountability for Lonnie, uh, for his birth, for the choices we made, for the wrong choices that we made. Um, I needed to forgive myself, but it led to a lot of forgiveness of things in my childhood, things in my school years. Like when we talk about doing the work, it wasn't physically preparing. It was all this mental preparation. Um, I did do physical Uh, healing. I did a big gut healing protocol. Um, I found out I had a really underactive thyroid. A lot of it was nervous system related. I was just running myself into the ground. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was the typical, give your kids absolutely every everything you can and run yourself to the ground and that's the best for them. And it definitely isn't. um, I had no boundaries. I didn't realize you could have a loving boundary. You can have a a really safe boundary where your kid can still come and tell you everything.
0: Um, But, you know, have some, have some, yeah, boundaries for them. Even just not letting Lonnie cry for five years, that would have been so much for your nervous system. And just like the collective you know, like, because you know how you have that, your whole home, like your family is like one big nervous system. Yeah. Like I imagine how you all must have felt just constantly trying to keep this. It was like walking on eggshells, but yeah. it wasn't his fault. No. Like,
2: And then, so what happens when you suppress sadness is you get anger. So he was really angry, little kid, and I just couldn't work out why. And and then I worked out it was because I didn't let him be sad. So it's probably taking him two years for his default Reaction or his default emotion for sadness to be sad, not to be angrier, angry. sorry. So his default was anger. It was to throw something or hit something because that was the only way he could release what he was feeling because I would keep moving the goalpost. Um, so the journey was definitely forgiveness for myself. Um, it was accountability. It was um, setting some boundaries for our family. It was self-care, resetting the nervous system, And I said to Levi, I actually really wanted to have a conscious conception. And he said to me, you can sit in there and do your pre-pregnancy meditation. I'm not doing it with you because I'm just going to be thinking about having sex with you the whole time. So call me when you're done and then I'll come in. (laughs) <laughs> I was like okay So um, we didn't get the conscious conception I was after But that's okay um, We did a lot of work We probably did yeah 12 months preparing to have Mimi um, like, And I had
0: Like health wise like
2: physical Yeah physical, mental, emotional yeah, okay. um, And I said the only way I was having another baby was if I could do everything the way I wanted, if I could just silence everything, every book, every podcast, not this one. (laughs) Um,
1: Can I ask really quickly though? Um, So what propelled you on that journey? Like what was the first initiation or knowledge of an unassisted birth?
2: um, It it was probably just – it was probably looking at – I sat next to a lady on a plane actually and she was Italian and my nan is Italian and she was saying how – They just all had their babies at home and they all co-slept and I remember saying to me the only person that knows how to have this baby is you and I was like,
1: hey, it is. Random stranger on a plane with the best wisdom. I know. (laughs) Happens to be Italian, which is all you're channeling right now, (laughs) Kasia. Yes. (laughs) Um, And
2: I remember (laughs) thinking about like the Indigenous women actually and I, I imagine them just like birthing out in the in the bushland and mm. um and then I did look into a few a few free births. Like I, I looked a little bit on Instagram and I mean social media is the devil, but it's so amazing for things like, like this amazing podcast and for the knowledge. And mm. um I tried to do a bit of work in the lead up. Um, and then when I once I was pregnant, that was it. I did no more reading. Um, I did no more listening. I just was like, I need nothing. I need to silence everything and just tune in and only be able to hear myself and my baby, my intuition. Um, I knew by this point from all the self healing I had done that I was so capable. Um, I also think I had to surrender to a lot of fear. I was thinking, thinking to myself why did I need someone there with me like what made me feel and I thought well if something went wrong I can blame the midwife or I can blame the doctor or um I can say I did everything I went to hospital I did the ABC 123 and it still happened and I had to really surrender to the fear of death and understand that death is just as normal as birth um death is life and life is death and when you surrender to that you can really trust and um so I had, I had no prenatals, no, um, no vitamins, and I did the Lily Nichols um, food for birth. Mm-hmm. So I just ate really intuitively, um, had no scans, no testing. We just decided we're getting these scans and we're getting these tests done. And if they come back with A, B or C, what are we going to do? Nothing. <laughs> we're having the baby. So there was no point getting any of that done. That was just going to instill fear. Um, I think, can I add
0: to that?
1: So so we just pause there for a second. Um, So I, with my last didn't have, like, I didn't want to do any tests at all. I didn't do a pregnancy test to stay in the midwife group program, which I will go into when I do my, my birth stories. But I did have to have one scan um, at 20 weeks. And when I went in there, I was just like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. Don't tell me anything on that scan and do it as quickly as humanly possible because I don't want to be here. Yeah, And it was l- – I thought those things because the more external feedback I got, the more I relied on it and needed more, whereas if I could just – yeah, not like you just push that away and then everything is actually on what you're feeling and you're so much more connected to what is going on in your body and how you're feeling and what you need. And I was, I just didn't want to screw that up at all with any external feedback or any external yeah. like noise. And yeah, so I just thought I'd throw that in there for listeners because it is something... It is, it's a scary thing to do initially because you're like, okay, but I, w- I don't know. But I think one of the beauties of birth and pregnancy and something that I didn't learn until my fourth and hopefully I can save a whole lot of people out there from having to have four kids to learn this. <laughs> but one of those things was was how how powerful that is and how beautiful and strong that connection can be and how empowering it is to know that you are in complete control of that yeah so absolutely I thought I'd just add that in there
2: yeah and I think intuition is amazing and maybe your intuition might say I think you should go get a scan and but if you're just getting it routinely it, it takes away from that mm-hmm. um but I had probably two or three periods during the pregnancy I had a bit of spot bleeding at about 13 weeks and um, I had two periods of really quiet movement and um it's funny because I just would be like all right I'm just gonna go get a scan." That's what would come to me. And then when I moved that out of the way, I was like, no, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to slow down. I'm going to go and connect. And I would lie in bed for maybe an hour or half an hour, whatever I could get, 10 minutes, and I would communicate with my baby. And every time I got a sign back that they were okay. And I moved that fear and I moved that um, need for a scan. There was never any need. It was a quick fix. And the reality is you can go in with a scan and say it's perfectly fine and two minutes later it cannot be perfectly fine. So it is really just a short period of time for comfort. And Mm -hmm. um, I I think when you surrender to having a birth without any medical assistance, you you, like not having scans during the pregnancy definitely
0: helped that for me because I just had full trust. There were some big things that happened for you during Mimi's pregnancy though, which I feel like would have completely taken your, you know, like focus and concentration on what was happening with her and what was happening with you because –
2: yeah, I lost both my granddads in my um, pregnancy, both quite suddenly. Um, and I remember at one stage being like, oh, my goodness, why am I losing everyone close to me? Are they? Is it preparing me for the biggest loss, which could be this baby? I remember just mm. how fear takes over and I just each time surrendered. I was like, you know what, you don't get this birth. You don't get this life without death, unfortunately. And I would do anything for my granddads to be here, but it was um, – it was a lesson in surrender and celebration of life and, um, yeah, grieving, lots of crying. Um, it forced me to grieve. I knew that I couldn't go into this birth holding on to grief and just trying to get over it. It forced me to sit around. It forced me to cry. It forced me to release from my body. Um, yeah, I, I knew that I had to really process these these both these deaths um, properly um, and yeah lots of things come up in pregnancy and you're Mm. so vulnerable Mm. like oh my goodness I cried for so many days after both of their deaths my whole body um we also lost our puppy dog which Mm. we'd had since we met so um yeah I um it was testing me everything was testing me but on the I also went about 10 days over so all my bubba's came early um, I as I said, I don't follow a due date, but we all get to 40 weeks and I'm like, where's this baby? And it was like 41 weeks and I thought, oh, my goodness, have I gaslit myself? Am I not even pregnant? Maybe I'm not even pregnant. <laughs> You're <Maybe>. clearly pregnant. <laughs> I know. But I remember thinking maybe I've convinced myself so I've got all the symptoms of pregnancy because um, – and then I remember thinking, okay, how many weeks am I going to go to until I do something, until I – you know, and I was like I would make up numbers in my name to try in my mind to try and convince myself I knew I was doing nothing. Mm. Um, and then it got to 415. and I remember going to bed that night and having a cry and going to sleep and waking up, having a dream that my waters broke and waking up and my waters hadn't broken. I was like, you're kidding me. So I went to the toilet and got up and I heard this pop and I looked down and my waters broke and I was so excited. I ran into my husband and was like, can you go put water in the pool? And he's like, are you in labour? I'm like, no, but we are not doing this again. I know that like, <laughs> this could happen quick, but I had had one that my waters broke 72 hours later. I still wasn't in labour. And then I had one that my waters broke and 45 minutes later I had a baby. So... He, when I put the pool on and I was downstairs and I'd hate cleaning, I'm not a good cleaner but each time I go into labor I start cleaning and I was having no contractions but I started cleaning and tidying and he's laughing at me he's like maybe we could get you in labor more often <laughs> um, and yeah I was cleaning and then I had another little bit of water's break and I just felt the descent I felt really heavy and I had a contraction I messaged my girlfriend who was coming to help with the kids at the time and to be there as a support I called her and I said we're on and she said she'll never forget it was like having an eight-year-old at a party <laughs> but I was so excited and I, then I texted her and this is 20 past three and I said, I haven't had contractions, just like a really light, you know, um, tightening, so take your time, have brekkie, see you when you get here and um, she came driving down the driveway maybe 25 minutes later and I was in the pool breathing out the head and I could see her headlights coming out and she walked in the door and she said to herself, oh, I hope she hasn't gotten in the pool too early because it slows down labour and then she walked over and said, how are you? And I said, photos. Head's out. (laughs) She couldn't believe it. So, gosh. um, Yeah, I only had a couple of contractions. What was the time from when you called? So three seventeen. I called her, and four o'clock. Mimi was fully born. So um, I wasn't even in labour when I called there at like about twenty minutes. I think it was. Yeah, twenty to four, and yeah, the head was was out. Um, So I I don't find labour painful. Um, people like think after that the last, so like Goldie wild. and Mimi, they were non-painful. births. They were non-painful births. I didn't make but, a but noise. The boys were. The boys were. Yeah, yeah. sorry. The boys were really, really painful. I felt completely safe. I was so excited. Um, I probably had two contractions and I said to Levi, can you go wake the kids up? And it's 3.30 in the morning and he's sort of looking at me like, for real, these kids? Like I'm going to be looking after them. Um, But he said he just really trusted me and he didn't question it. And he went up and he got the three kids and they came down the stairs I was so excited and this was also the first baby we didn't know the gender so at this stage we had two boys and a girl um and then I by the time he got down the stairs I was in the pool and yeah it, it was so quick um but really calm I just I didn't push Mimi which is something I really wanted to do so I pushed with Goldie um and I just breathed with Mimi and um Goldie even though it was at home, it was a beautiful birth, Um, there was no direct intervention. But when I think about it, intervention can be little things like changing your positioning or telling you to push or um, like her head was out for quite a while before I got any urge to push. And I was asked, the, the midwives at the time said, we need to get her out, let's push. And Um, her shoulder got a little bit stuck and I did this weird manoeuvre with my leg. And so with Mimi's birth, I had said, "What if there was one thing I was going to change, I didn't want to push. I just wanted to breathe her out and Mm -hmm. really connect with her. And there was no fear around her shoulder getting stuck, but I had the tips of my fingers on her head and I was tickling her head and I was saying to her, you let me know if you need me to move. Like, I trust you. You let me know if you need me to like a reposition or anything like that and I remember I was having a full conversation with her and she came out and then I watched the birth video later and I said to Levi no why is the sound not working I was talking to her and he said to me you didn't make a single noise you weren't talking and I said I was I was talking to her about letting me know when she was ready for her body to be born and he said no honey you didn't you didn't make a noise like but you weren't really here with us, and um, in the birth video, he's just so shocked because I'm like, I'm literally dead silent. I just am in a totally different realm with her, birthing her, and same thing. Just no pain afterwards. It was amazing. It was the best day of my life.
1: Oh my yeah. goodness, that is isn't that incredible? Have you had that experience? No, where because you've... I'm incredibly like you, primal, loud and primal. Yeah. yeah. Well, like every time, like with Rue and poet. I thought that I was like screaming the house down and everyone was like, no, you weren't like making noise. But I was just like, I'm like, no, I was like guttural, Mm. surely. And like, yeah, a friend had come to look after the kids when I had Rue, so my two oldest. and, um, And she was like, I didn't hear you. I just, I rocked up and then i was downstairs with the kids and then i just heard a baby crying baby. yeah yes. oh my god This <laughs> is like, so
0: funny what? maybe i should look back on my birthday and <laughs> yeah. be like oh, was i really
1: primal <laughs> no, I, I read all was. of
2: these things about the noise of a primal birthing woman and mm. all of these labels that we like to put on things and i think oh i feel like i'm dancing when i give birth like i'm mm. dancing with my i just dance with my daughter and then we met and yeah
0: it was do you feel like amazing like- looking back on the difference between like a Lonnie or an Arlo um, experience, were you able to connect or communicate in the same way that you were able to communicate with Mim or Goldie?
2: Absolutely not. not. at all. Not at all. It, it was just I can't even describe how different the, yeah, the bonding yeah. and the communication. I was so excited. I was excited for the new pram and the new cot and all the things that I did not even even get with the girls. But When I really think about that intuition and that connection, it definitely wasn't there in their pregnancies. Mm, It's
0: so interesting because I feel like obviously it's the fear that keeps people in that system, not in it but so reliant on it and so trusting in it. It's because…
1: But also like like it keeps them in that headspace of you're saving me. Yeah. You're you're saving me. I think also the
2: accountability. You can put it on them if something goes wrong. Oh. Um, you know, it's a, it's like a, it's like wearing a life jacket in the ocean. Like you've got someone else to rely on, to do. I just used to rock up to those scans, and that would tick the box, and that's how I would know my baby was okay. It wasn't anything to do with tuning in and talking to my baby.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if we pause there for a second, also, we you can go for a scan, and they get the wrong measurements, 100%. or they don't pick up something that's wrong, or they pick up something that's yeah. wrong that isn't wrong. Like they're not as it's accurate not 100% as we'd like to think no. and they don't diagnose as well as what what they do say and I, i'm not saying they're completely irrelevant um obviously they do pick up things here and there but yeah. there is that room for error and i especially think especially
2: with sizing i think yeah, with sizing yeah. and measurements they'll tell you themselves you hear like, it
1: all the time yeah I, I had to have a big i
2: was having a big baby so i had to get induced or i had to have a cesarean and then Had a seven-pound baby.
0: It's like, it's and why can't we deliver your attraction to Levi, and all those loved-up juicy pheromone feelings must have been incorrect, because how could you have possibly birthed his baby? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. If you were not supposed to birth a big baby, like your body and your shape why were you so damn attracted to him? Yeah. And, like, everything about him just gets you going. Yeah. It does, yeah. does get me going. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> baby number five.
2: <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'll be back here. <laughs> yes.
1: um, yeah. But
2: I think, yeah, I, I really do think why do we say what's wrong with a big baby? A yeah. big baby, a 10-pound baby could be really long and skinny. Mm. And, yeah. Uh,
1: but I, I we like, can deliver big babies anyway. Yeah. yeah. L- look, I... Rue was 4.2 kilos like mm. I've had really big babies <laughs> and you look at my kids now and they haven't grown much since <laughs> yes. they're still four kilos <laughs> yeah. um but I I wonder that too because I I know family and friends who have been told who have wide hips and if anyone knows me you can't really see in this video I have narrow, narrow hips yeah. like I am the body of like really wide shoulders very tiny hips. And I've had friends and family who definitely have more of an hourglass figure than me, being told that they cannot birth a big baby. They don't have the room in their pelvis. And I'm like, well, our bodies are designed for like this yeah. is the way they're designed. And I'm a big believer that if you can fall pregnant naturally, especially, Everything is working exactly mm-hmm. how it needs to, yeah, and will work exactly how it needs to. Like if it's getting the baby mm-hmm. in. I truly believe in that also. Mm-hmm. I think if you can conceive,
2: you can birth naturally. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm a big believer in that.
0: What do you think about the situation where people end up needing intervention, or they need saving, so to speak? Is it do you think because people allow, like they dip their toes so far into the into the system that they almost – so they obviously just lose connection and they lose –
2: Yeah, it's hard to get out of it once you're mm. in it. Yeah, I definitely think they lose that belief in their bodies and their, they forget. They forget. Your, whole, your body creates this whole baby on its own your body conceives it with a bit of help I don't maybe a couple of minutes but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can nurture this baby and feed it absolutely nothing for 12 months of its life all on your own but we have this we seem to dip our feet
0: in the in the medical system and then lose the lose belief in the birth mm. yeah and so leading up because you obviously had like a full wild pregnancy yeah. and Um, you intended to birth the baby alone did you do any preparation for understanding how your body was going to do it or what would happen if you birthed mim and there was something that was kind of like alarming yeah it's funny I would get all these instagram messages what
2: if this happened what if this happened and I think people think that I just would stay at home and not go to the hospital if I needed to go to the hospital I mean Hospitals are there for emergencies. That's why they're called the emergency room. So I can't justify walking in there with a healthy body and a healthy baby for a not emergency. Mm. And I said I would seek um, medical support. I would get help. Like I would call an ambulance if yeah, you know. Yeah, if I needed something. to do anything yeah. like that,
1: um, I would perform resuscitation if I needed to. Um. It's almost like people think that the mother isn't the most invested person in I that know. baby. Like <laughs> look, I've done all the hard work. <laughs> I, I can tell you that before anyone else, I'm very invested. Like I am the number one person <laughs> yes. invested in this baby. If there is ever going to be anyone who is going to do anything for this child. It's me. Me first. I'm, yeah. I'm it. Yes. So yeah, it's, so it's bizarre when it's like, well, you, you know, people who think, but you're not having it in the hospital. Yes, because there are risks involved in the hospital too. That's something that I really love about Yolanda. Um, I don't know if you follow her at all. I do. Yes, yes I okay. do. I love yeah. her. <laughs> Tell Another her to baby. Our podcast. <laughs> 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 Number 10, I, I know. know. Um, but something that she said that I'd never had the words for, but it was definitely in my mind, is that you choose your risk. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're at home in backyard, in a hospital, in an ambulance, like it doesn't matter where, every single scenario is going to have its risks and its benefits and you need to be the one that chooses that. And in every single scenario, it doesn't matter if you're in the hospital, you're responsible for that baby. So, yeah, yeah, that was one thing that really stuck with me too because I was like, I mean, I had a really lucky first birth experience in the hospital with a private obstetrician – it was it was like you couldn't have asked for a better birth yeah um in in that situation and i just thank my lucky stars because i didn't know anyone who had experienced that in a hospital but then when i met all of these mothers and most of them had been c-sectioned for their first babies yeah i was like how is this like such a common occurrence and that's when i started questioning cuz otherwise i wouldn't have at all like yeah. i had a great experience but, yeah, it's... um, It's also, like, I feel like we like to put labels
2: on things. Like, a free birth is just a birth without a midwife or an obstetrician. Th- there's no reason you couldn't have that in hospital, right, if they weren't monitoring you and just all over you for every minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need a birth where we feel safest and... A friend messaged me and was like I really want to have a home birth but I'm petrified I'm so scared I was like well you need to work through all of that mm. you can't be having a home birth or a free birth because you saw someone on Instagram have this amazing birth and now uh, you think you're going to get that birth but you're absolutely terrified mm. like you need to work through all of that and then birth where you feel safest and everywhere is going to have a risk a hospital's going to have a risk. You are not guaranteed a healthy baby at a hospital. You're not guaranteed a healthy baby anywhere.
1: I think time and time again it's proven that you're not guaranteed a healthy baby in well, the hospital. Well, home birth is setting. the
2: um, is the it's the safest. It's, um, according to the statistics, it's yeah. the safest place to birth a baby, mm. which mm-hmm. um, for me it was definitely the safest place. I mean... I, I didn't really lose Lonnie, but I definitely could have
0: and I, I didn't even have any issues at home. Well, time and time again it really comes back to, well, it seems from all the stories that are kind of shared with us and that we talk about, you know, even just in our circle of friends and our community is that the women who dip their toes and step into the options, like, okay, what are my options here? Okay, I'll get induced if I go over. It's like, okay, that well, that just kind of is, begins the cascade of, all the other interventions and it's like well you interrupted something that was perfectly capable of yeah. playing out in a different way yeah and so you've asked it to do something that it didn't want to do and so yeah it's most likely going to end up in that and so I feel like when things really are left to do what they're completely capable of doing it it always seems to end up in this magical birthing experience whereas the other side of it is that you're you're going down the other path and it's almost guaranteed in, oh, this had to happen or this had to happen and, oh, yeah, and then this happened and then I wasn't progressing and then I, oh, and then this and that. Could you
1: imagine if maybe the design is set up the way it is because when the baby's ready to be born and your body's open enough to birth, Mm. they're probably the two things that we're waiting for
2: Yeah, when you go into labour. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the <laughs> digestive system isn't um, doesn't develop until after 40 weeks mm. or so. So if your baby's got um, an immature digestive system, a lot of that doesn't develop until between 40 and 43 weeks. So our babies know when to come. They mm. Yeah. And, I and think, our bodies too. And our bodies, absolutely. And I think when you're in the system, so say you get to 38 weeks and your obstetrician or your doctor or your midwife or whatever avenue you've chosen wants to induce you, it's hard to leave when you've depended on them to tell your baby, mm-hmm. you that your baby is okay and healthy and safe and yeah. you're able to birth. It's hard to leave when you get to that point. And often um, in private obstetrics, you've dropped, I don't know, five ten thousand $10,000. I'm not sure, but to leave, like you're so far in. You're invested in their care. yeah mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the things also, you're definitely not, in well, my personal experience, you're not given risk factors or side effects. And I look at just the labor time when you're having an induction, like the pressure on your uterus when you're in, in induced and it's like every one minute compared to a natural labor where I, I birthed her and my contractions were still, I don't know, three, five minutes apart. Um, and mm. then it leads into a cascade of um, bonding issues, breastfeeding issues. I was so lucky to have a beautiful breastfeeding journey with uh, Lonnie considering and a beautiful bond and, um, I've had no issues. Oh my god, I have so much milk. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Levi and I were making you'll love. This Levi and I were making love yesterday, and he said to me, "I like, I really don't want to cover these boobies, but milk is going everywhere." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god.
0: Okay. Is, is there anyone in our local community needing milk?
1: <laughs> yes, Haley. If you like, we've actually gotten to the habit of just expressing into our coffee cup. Oh my so. god. <laughs> Um, but I was lucky a
2: lot of women have breastfeeding Mm. issues and Mm. all the all the biological norms that come after birth are affected because of the way we choose to birth Mm. um breastfeeding bonding sleeping I think there's a lot of
1: a lot going around at the moment on postnatal depression as well which is yeah yeah, like you know people think that this is just something that happens with motherhood but It's, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of the trauma you've just experienced. Absolutely. And maybe being separated from your baby for the first however long or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, I've, I'm a big believer in no one else's hands should be on that baby except for parents and maybe siblings. But oh, the siblings bit was hard at home. My kids wanted to hold
2: Mimi when she was like 30 seconds old. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fighting um, over her, pulling her limbs.
1: Yeah, Levi
2: was so amazing um, in – I just I wanted to but we did a placenta burning ceremony and I just wanted to do it when it felt right. I didn't want to um put a number on it or put an hour on it. Um just like the 41st days, you know, we have to stay at home for 40 days. Mm. Do we need to put numbers on these things or can yeah. we actually just tune in and decide when we feel ready? Mm. Um and the kids were like, We just wanna we just wanna cut the cord, we just wanna burn the cord, come on, come on, I wanna hold and cause no one held her. Um, Levi did just while I moved upstairs, but no one held her while she was attached to the placenta initially. And I was like, all right, we'll just do it. And Levi just said to me, no, I need you to stop. I need you to take a couple of breaths. And I need you to think about whether you're ready and whether you want to do this. And I said, I don't, but I just want the kids to be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said, no, guys, like mummy and Mimi, they're still attached and, mm. and we need a respect and we just need to slow down. There's no rush to do any of this. And it was so beautiful because we then ended up having this ...a magical ceremony. We were all sitting around and we burnt her cord... Um, And it really felt like she fully came to us after that. And it was slow. We all had a candle and Mm. it was so beautiful. And I'm just like, I'm glad I had him to ground me in that moment. Mm. There's so much oxytocin and everyone's so excited. And, I mean, he took advantage of me because he made (laughs) me call her Mimi in that time. And I wanted to call her Clover. (laughs) And he just got all the kids on
1: board to call her Mimi. (laughs) And I was
2: just like, oh, yeah. And then a few days later
1: I was like, hold on a second. Never so too late. Hey. I, I changed two yes, weeks you later. Did. You told me. Two weeks later, I was just like, nah, no, nah, don't, don't like what it." What was her first name? It was uh, Maple. Maple. And by Maple. like the first couple of days, I was like, every time I had to say it, I was like, "Oh, oh no!" <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I can call her that. She's not that. It's just
2: not her name. <laughs> I look at Mimi now and I'm like, she's definitely Mimi, but. Um, But you're also Clover. Yeah, but I'm I'm like, you you could be Clover there. Are you Clover? Hey, Clover. And then she'll smile and I'll be like, it was a
0: sign. (laughs) (laughs) Have you like registered her? Like, does she exist? It's it's not too
2: late to change then. (laughs) My poor mum is a nurse uh, at the emergency department and um, I love her dearly, but we are not aligned. And um, just in terms of our birthing choices. And I remember her saying to me, "Are are you kidding? Or she said to me, did the midwife make it in time? And I said, oh, um. Never getting a midwife, mum. So no, it didn't. And I chose not to tell people. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I, I deliberately didn't tell majority of the people my birthing choices. Even when I was just home birthing um, Goldie, people were like, did you accidentally have her at home? And I was like, no, because you don't need that noise. Mm-hmm. I don't need – a lady came up to me at the soccer oval and said, um, a mum at school told me that you were having a home birth and I just need you to know my friend was having a home birth and she had a really big bleed. I'm like 40 weeks pregnant and five days at this point. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry that, that happened to your friend. And she said, I have to tell you this. I would never forgive myself if something went wrong and I hadn't oh told gosh. you this. And I was like, the only reason you're telling me this is your own your own stuff. And I think this is a you problem. This isn't a me problem. Mm. And that was like a really good example of someone trying to put put their fears on me. And yes. the only thing that it was doing was making her feel better about telling me if she really wanted the best for me, she would know that telling me in that in that moment was not the best thing for me at all. That wasn't going to help me or save me or no. that was just her projecting her fears onto me. Um, and my mum, yes, so my poor mum, she was horrified. She was like, are you telling me that no one even knows that this baby exists? You didn't get anything in pregnancy and now no one's seen you birth her and she's here and, like, no one knows. And I was like, I know mum.
1: I'm her mum. That's what she needs yeah. right now. A lot of Instagram knows too. So, Oh, yeah. Instagram knows too. <laughs> we've, yeah. Got, we've got some We've got some documents We're good. We're good. She we're good. does exist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, but so. what is,
0: like, how do you actually block all that out? Because obviously we're so hooked up to so many different people and people have access to people yeah. at any time. That be it social media, like dropping a phone call, dropping a text or just like sending stuff without even needing it. Like, I mean, yeah. I was, I feel like I sent you a free birth, like an incredible free birth story towards the end. And like. You said to me, you don't have to watch this if you don't want to. And I didn't, but I watched it after I had it. It was amazing. Um, yeah. But like. That, it's like, you know, people have like good intentions, yeah. but they share stuff. Like I, I remember, like we've shared this so many times in other episodes, but just people dropping their comments or their unsolicited advice or their yeah. statistic that they think is the truth. And it's so hard to block that out. But like how, do, how did you so successfully block all that out for so long?
2: Um, I have two analogies I follow with everything in life. Um, it's like a telemarketer. If they knock on your door, you acknowledge them. And then if you're not interested, you close the door. And so, or a library, you get all your books and you put them in the library and then you pick out the ones that you want at certain times. So you listen, I listen to everyone or I take it in and then I choose whether it's the telemarker that I'm not interested in and I push it away or I put it in the library and I can store it there. And if I want to access it later, I can. Um, Or if it's not right for that time, then I don't. Mm. I think if we just try and not, acknowledge these thoughts or these feelings or these comments that they build up so I yeah I like to acknowledge them hear them and then store them mm. if I want to or um, say thanks I'm not interested and close it on the telemarketer yeah and, and that's what I do with comments and opinions
1: and, and I think all that. one of the greatest things um that I heard was just surround yourself with with people who trust birth and trust women yeah and like trust babies like you just want to your start. community just yeah like, but you just you yeah. just only speak to those people yeah. because and i mean look to each their own but i know a few people who have done that and it ju- it it just brings the right energy and it also if they trust you and they trust birth and they trust your b- body and your baby then you can trust you and so you will know If something's not feeling right, you like you'll do like, I feel like people think they're not going to do the right thing, but Mm. we do as mothers. I don't know. No mother wakes up in the morning and goes,
2: I'm not going to do what I think is best for my child this morning. Mm. Right. We all try our best and some Mm. days we don't do what's best for them, but we always wake up and think I'm going to do what I think is best for my child today. I think your community and who you surround yourself with is everything. And when I look at my birth with Lonnie and the people I was surrounded with and getting advice off, his birth was very reflective of that. Mm. It was really reflective of that. And when I look at Mimi and the women I surrounded myself with and even my husband, my husband is definitely aligned with a lot more like-minded men and I think that's why he was able to support me to the extent that he was. Um, But, yeah, strong women, they're very important. Mm. And I'm so lucky to be surrounded by two right now. Yay. <laughs> no, but in seriousness, um, even just this podcast is so amazing. It takes strong women to address um, maybe difficult, maybe uncomfortable conversations that are part of everyday life, but it's easy to dance around them or, or we can dance through them together. Mm.
0: Yeah. So thanks, ladies. Aww. Thanks, darling. Thank I, you. I feel like it'd be so nice to actually know, like, and I'm, prob- I'm sure there's probably no statistics on this, but. Um, like women who allow birth to happen naturally and the outcomes that aren't positive versus like yeah. women who have intentions of birthing their baby but always end up in intervention at the hospital. Like, you know what I mean? It's really yeah. hard to get true statistics because, because I, n- I rarely hear stories about home births going bonkers you're always like yeah that was the most beautiful birth and it was so Mm -hmm. great and oh my god it was just so healing and transformative but then you hear people's experiences who had hospital births and I'm not one of those people I had actually a really positive birth experience at hospital for my first baby but um, yeah like the majority of people who stepped in to a hospital to give birth had Hmm. some form of intervention or trauma and obviously... I
1: think that so often too you can listen to birth stories because I'm a massive consumer of birth stories. (laughs) They're the best. No, it's so good. But like so often I've listened to birth stories of women who are like, I've had positive – and I'm not saying you're one of these women – but I've had a really positive birth experience and you listen to all the interventions they've had – ...and all the things that arose in that. Mm. And then they're having struggles with breastfeeding. And they're having... Yeah. But they're, you know, the um, nurses surrounding them... ...their obstetrician was like, oh, that was so good. Oh, that was textbooks. Or even if there was intervention... ...or they had a stretch and sweep that, you know, they yeah. there was no consent to. And little things like that, which I think the body holds onto that. Yeah, definitely. And, but them. ...head so disconnected from it because they've been fed this information constantly.
0: Mm. I mean I can relate to that even though my, I just said that my birth experience was positive. But like yeah. I did have a stretch and with Birdie mm. and mm. it was hectic. Yeah, And then I did have trouble breastfeeding her but I was obviously very persistent. So like mm. although I had a hands-off birth and no quote-unquote intervention... Quote unquote, yeah. intervention you're right. I did struggle to breastfeed her yeah. because obviously my body was holding that, and yeah. that that was a thing that wasn't that wasn't supposed to happen. That interrupted the normality and flow of my physiological birth.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that
0: yeah. so does make sense as well. Sometimes
2: these things might not show up till menopause mm. or um, really later in life. I, I read a post of this woman that had she called it an empowered episiotomy, and I thought. You know, she's doing this podcast in a really vulnerable time of postpartum, and I, I thought I, I'd put my life on the fact that this woman will look back and realize that this wasn't empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she does self work and self healing and growth, or maybe later in life, mm-hmm. that she'll be able to reflect and, and realize that, um, yeah, there's maybe maybe we're settling for for good and not for better. Or mm-hmm. you know, maybe we think that it's that whole you know, healthy baby. all that matters and it's like, but is it? Yeah. Is it? Because what's a healthy baby without a healthy mum? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Like we normalised. I mean in the 90s like all our mums probably can't jump because I wet their pants, oh my that's goodness! that's completely normalised.
2: Yes, I know. And by the way,
0: I have going, started going back and to the gym working out the last week and I was like, oh. <laughs> I can't jump.
1: Shit, <laughs> I can't
0: jump. But I do want to do something about it because that shit ain't normal. <laughs> mm, but, um, yeah. you know, like my mum, that entire generation, like. I'm not sure oh, about um,
2: your mums, but inductions were really common back there yeah, and my mum always injured, tells me I everyone think. got induced. But when I talked to her, she's like, they just put the gel in. Yeah, and I don't the the gel is an intervention, and I don't think. But an induction these days is come in, pop your waters, drip in, see you later. Mm. They're they're way more intense. It's mm. one of these timelines, and it's it's like the the hospitals get a high five or something for getting people in and out quicker. Yeah, um, but I said to her, mum, the inductions aren't okay. Full stop. And they're also not like what they used to be.
0: Yeah. I think there's a whole level of pressure even for midwives who have the best intentions and women-centered care. Just them working in hospitals these days is completely different to midwives who had more power and control over how things went down for women in like the early 2000s or, and, you know, prior to. I don't know what that bloody timeline is, but it sounds like, and because I know a few people who are hospital midwives or were hospital midwives, it's just like it's nightmare for a midwife to work in a hospital yeah. these days because yeah. they can't actually be women-centred. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be performed or, you know, if they have to work within T- structures boxes. and, you yeah. know, like it's – you can see why even midwives who had the best intentions, women don't have the best outcomes because –
1: it's yeah like who it's has really scared. good to that like who they're has scared. control
0: who has yeah. control if midwives don't have control in hospitals yeah, and scared. women don't have control, who has control of the birthing baby yeah or is it just we'll see what happens and we'll keep on doing intervention until the baby's yeah. safely out even if that is by means of a c-section like what's going on
2: Even the terminology we use like midwives deliver babies no mothers deliver babies and midwives are there to support. Mm -hmm. mothers um but I really do I think it's important to acknowledge the amazing work that a lot of midwives do and and maybe the outcomes of birth would be different if they were supported better if Mm -hmm. um, there was less fear less pressure less timelines Mm -hmm. less boxes to tick and we just let the natural um yeah just birth progress naturally because they're overworked and the stress in a hospital is Well, you can huge. just get –
0: people are suing midwives yeah. left, right and centre. Yeah. And they're not supported. It's that, it's that whole accountability yeah. element as well. It's like, well, you can step into a hospital something bad happens to your baby. It's Of course it's the midwife's fault. It has to be someone's fault. It has to be someone's can't, fault. Can't, yeah. We can't accept that
2: that some babies aren't meant to, yeah. meant to stay. They're meant to be in the stars. So it's
0: women really needing to take accountability for their pregnancy and their conception and the like every – every facet of bringing a child into
1: earthside, Yeah. Accountability. Well, on that, thank you, Hayley, so much for coming in. <laughs> <laughs> on that, we're on a time accountability. Yeah. <laughs> <Get off>. <laughs> time, time <laughs> accountability. No, it was really awesome. They're like w- what a journey from your first to your last and I'm so excited. Um, for the fifth, to my fourth. Sixth. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll be hearing about a fifth, for sure. Yeah, do it with me, Chloe. Hey, we're all on four. Come on. <laughs> oh, I've been cut off. Oh, have you. No, this is a
2: problem in our house that Levi wants more babies as much as I do. There's not one of us that's responsible. Oh,
0: please continue. Oh. Brenton's continue. A bit the same. Yeah, Brenton is a bit the same, but I said,
1: if Kashia does, I will. So <laughs> Maybe I'll just get Togo to hang out with Levi and Brenton. Totally. And just start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 15 uh, kids. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you
0: imagine? Oh that is wild. <laughs> mm. oh well, the birth God. rates are low. I just want to put it out there. Birth mm. rates globally are incredibly low. So if you can have five kids, have five kids. Get them back
1: up there, people. <laughs> All right. All Thanks right. so much <laughs> for having me. <laughs> Peace out. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.